So tonight we're going to start our study of Deuteronomy, a little introduction here. Um, So why study this book? Why would we study Deuteronomy? There are 66 books in the Bible, Um, so why this one? Why would we take the time on Sunday night to to study this one? Well, if, if if you read scholars um, on the Old Testament especially, you would, you would see that Deuteronomy is foundational to understanding the Old Testament. Now we might think, well, why do we care about the Old Testament? I like the New Testament. I like the Gospels. Well, Deuteronomy is foundational for understanding the New Testament as well. And it is really foundational for understanding the whole Bible. Um, Daniel Block and, and others call Deuteronomy the gospel according to Moses. Um, so, and Block also points out, Block was here in our church a few years ago, but he points out this, that if you go by the number of quotations um, of Scripture, of the Old Testament, um, Deuteronomy was Jesus' favorite book. Um, He quotes Deuteronomy. There are more quotations of Jesus um, from Deuteronomy than than any other. And you're probably familiar with some of these quotations, and I know you're familiar with this one. This is when the scribe comes to Jesus and asks him, what is the most important commandment. Which is the commandment is most important of all? And Jesus responded with these words. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. strength. So these are the words that Jesus quoted back to the scribe. Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy. These are the words. I just want, as we begin our study of Deuteronomy, Just keep that little phrase in mind as we start out tonight. These are the words. These are the ones that Jesus quoted to the scribe. So what is Deuteronomy about? So in the summer, this last summer, maybe a month and a half ago, two months ago, we completed about a year and nine months study of Exodus. And and since we finished Exodus, if you've been here since then, um, we also did a couple of um, nights on Leviticus and Numbers, which are the next two books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, And we used short videos from the Bible Project. Um, And they're probably about as good a summary or good as introduction as you can get to a book. So as part of this tonight, we're going to do the same thing with Deuteronomy. Um, this video is a little less than eight minutes long. 
Um, and if we're asking the question, like I just did, what is Deuteronomy about? I think that the Bible Project's video really nails that question. So, let's begin with this video. I'm going to back it up and start a little louder, if you would, Wayne. The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible and the final book of the Torah. After the exodus from Egypt, Israel was at Mount Sinai for one year entering into a covenant with God. And then they had the disastrous trip through the wilderness, and the exodus generation disqualified themselves from entering into the land promised to Abraham. And so... One more try. We got it. We got it. The book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible and the final book of the Torah. After the exodus from Egypt, Israel was at Mount Sinai for one year, entering into a covenant with their God. And then they had the disastrous road trip through the wilderness, and the exodus generation disqualified themselves from entering into the land promised to Abraham. And so Deuteronomy begins with Moses standing in front of this new generation explaining the Torah. And it's from here that the design and purpose of the book unfolds. Deuteronomy is a series of speeches from Moses where he's calling the next generation of Israel to be faithful to the covenant with their God. At the center of the book is a collection of laws, which are the terms of the covenant between God and Israel. Some of the laws are new, but many are repeated from the laws given earlier at Mount Sinai. And that's actually where this book gets its name, from a Greek word, deuteronomion, which means a second law. Now, surrounding these laws are two outer sections of Moses' speech. Each of these are broken up into two parts themselves. Let's just dive in and we'll see how this whole thing works. So Moses, first of all, summarizes the story so far, and he highlights how rebellious the previous generation was in contrast with God's constant grace and provision in the wilderness. And God did bring his justice on them, yes, but he did not abandon his covenant promises. After this comes a series of very passionate sermons where Moses calls on this new generation to be more faithful than their parents were to the covenant. He reminds them of the Ten Commandments, and then the centerpiece of this section is a famous line called the Shema. Moses says, listen, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. This became a very important daily prayer in Judaism, and it brings all of the themes of the book together. So the word listen, or shema in Hebrew, it means much more than just to hear. Its meaning includes responding to what you hear, or in English we would say obey. And the word love in Hebrew also means much more than just an emotion or feeling. It's about a decision of wholehearted devotion to God that involves your will and your emotions, your mind and your heart. Now, for Israel, their obedience and devotion to God served a much larger purpose. Obedience to the laws is going to make Israel a unique people among the nations. Just like God said at Mount Sinai, they will become a kingdom of priests. And Moses now says, how? Israel has the chance, by following the laws, to show the whole world the wisdom and the justice of God. The other key idea in the Shema is that Israel was called to obey and be devoted to the Lord alone. Or literally, in Hebrew, it says, the Lord is one. Now, in context, the point is that the Lord is the one God Israel is to worship and obey. 
Israel is about to go into the land of Canaan, where people worship idol gods that represent all different aspects of creation, the sun, the weather, sex, and war. And in Moses' view, worshiping these gods degrades humans and destroys communities. But worshiping the God of Israel, who's the creator and the redeemer, that will lead to life and blessing. And so we come to the large collection of laws at the center of the book. And they're roughly arranged by topic. So the opening section is about Israel's worship of their God. They were to have one central temple where one God would be worshipped. And also, God was to be worshipped in Israel's care for its poor. So, for example, all Israelites were to set aside one-tenth of their annual income to be given to the temple. But another tenth was to be set aside every three years and given to the poor. And these are the kinds of laws that put Israel on the cutting edge of justice in comparison to their ancient neighbors. And it was all bound up with their worship of God. The next section outlines the character qualities of Israel's leaders. So the elders, the priests, the kings, these were all placed under the authority of the covenant laws, which God said that he would enforce by sending prophets to keep the leaders accountable. So in contrast to Israel's neighbors, where kings were thought of as divine and a law unto themselves, Israel's leaders were subordinate to the law and the prophets. Following this is a large section of laws about Israel's civil life, so rules about marriage and family and business, and also about social justice, about their legal system and how it was to protect widows and orphans and immigrants. And then these are concluded by more laws about worship. Now, here's some tips for reading all of these laws. Remember, first of all, these are the terms of the Sinai Covenant given specifically to ancient Israel, living in a culture that's very different from yours. And so, too, it's not going to be helpful to compare these laws with modern laws from a very different culture. Rather, these were given to set Israel apart, and so we need to compare these laws with those of Israel's neighbors, like in Assyria or Babylon. And when you do that, all of a sudden laws that seemed harsh or bizarre become much more clear. You see that God is pushing Israel to a higher level of justice than was ever known before. And so finally, try to discern what core principles of wisdom or justice underlie any particular law. And you'll discover some really profound things. So here's an extra credit assignment. Go see how Paul the Apostle does this very thing in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 9. And he quotes a law from Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 4. It's really interesting. So back to Moses. After he goes through all of the laws, he issues a final challenge that Israel should listen to and love their God. He first issues a warning and an ultimatum. If Israel listens to and obeys their God, everything's going to go great, lots of divine blessing. But if they don't listen and rebel, famine, plague, devastation, and ultimately exile from the land. And then Moses forces a decision. He says, today I set before you all life or death, blessing or curse, goodness or evil. So choose life by loving the Lord your God and listening to him. But then Moses says this. He says, I know that after I die, you're going to rebel and turn away from God and end up in exile, which is kind of a downer. But then again, he's been with these people for decades and it becomes clear that his hopes are not very high. But all is not lost, Moses says. One day, when Israel is sitting in exile, at any point, Moses says, they can turn back to their God, who will, in his words, circumcise your hearts so that you may love him with all your heart and soul and live. 
Now, this is a vivid metaphor that's saying something is fundamentally wrong with Israel's heart. It's stubborn and hard. And it's the same thing wrong with the heart of all of humanity. This is going all the way back to the rebellion in the garden. Humans seized autonomy from God. They wanted to define good and evil for themselves, and they ruined God's good world as a result. But one day, Moses says, God is going to do something to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly listen to and love God from the heart and be led back to true life. And this is the promise that gets picked up by the later biblical prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the hope for a new heart. So Moses ends his speech with a poem of warning and then of blessing, and then he walks up onto a mountain and he dies. And so the Torah draws to a close. All of the major plot tensions of the biblical story are in place, but left totally unresolved. So when is the descendant of the woman going to come and defeat evil? Or how is God going to rescue the whole world and bless all nations through this family? And how can God's holiness be reconciled with people who are continually rebellious? And how is God going to transform the hearts of his people? You just have to keep reading to find out. But for now, that's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. So there you go. Here's a here's just kind of a simplified layout of the book uh, based on the Bible Project's um, structure that they have. We're going to use one slightly different as we get into our study, um, but it's it's this is a good one and it's it's pretty similar to the one that we'll use um, from Daniel Block. But but here's the thing that they pointed out that is really uh, important that, that the Bible Project pointed out, and you can see, um, I had heard that one of these guys, I think from Pastor Dan, studied, studied under John Salehammer, who, um, this is almost right out of his commentary, a call to covenant faithfulness. That is what, that is what Deuteronomy is. So what does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to have a call to covenant faithfulness. I don't really think there's any better way to um, describe it than to returning to the words that Jesus spoke um, when he quoted Deuteronomy to the scribe. These words. So these are the ones from from Deuteronomy. Just a slight um, little difference from the way Jesus quoted it. But hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So in the in the Gospel of Mark, which is the way where I quoted it from earlier, but it's in the it's in the other two synoptics as well. Um, Jesus is telling the scribe, and he's telling us by extension, what the most important commandment is. In the context of Deuteronomy, this is the call to covenant faithfulness. Um, There's not a better way to say it than this, to love the Lord your God, to be loyal to him, to recognize who God is, kind of like stop striving, and, and know that I am God, but to recognize who God is and be loyal to him. So it's the faithfulness, it's, it's the loyalty that's due a king 
who is making a covenant with his people. So, what does it mean then to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength? Well, we don't have time to just fully explore all of that tonight, but we can talk about where it starts. Um, and that is with the beginning of the next verse. So, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So, what words? Well, first, at the first layer, the words that Jesus, or that Moses has just spoken, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But in a bigger context and throughout Deuteronomy, it means all of the words that Moses speaks in Deuteronomy. Because they are the words that God has spoken to him. And so in Deuteronomy, what this call is, these words has a, have a bigger meaning. They are the words of God. They are the words of God's covenant with the people of Israel. So these are real God's words. Moses is speaking on behalf of God himself. So there is no other way. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength than to love his words that way. Because what we do with God's words is what we do with God. So our attitude towards God, think of it this way. Our attitude toward God is the same as our attitude towards his words. So there is no independent way other than through his words to love God. They are his words. So let's go back to these words. There are a lot of words that could compete with these words, pulling us away from these words. So as we look around at our If we look around at our society, I think probably almost all of us, maybe maybe not some of you younger people, but most of us who have been around for a while have said things. I've heard many of you say things, or people like you say things like this. I'm not concerned about myself. I'm concerned about my kids. Or as we get a little older... I'm not really concerned about my kids. I'm concerned about my grandkids. Well, what is the concern? Really, what is the concern for our grandkids, for our kids? What is it? Well, The concern is that they don't hear these words. 
The concern is that they're going to be swept downstream by society. So what's the solution? We're not, we're not going to change the culture at large. I mean, if that's going to happen, God's going to have to do that. We're not, we're not going to change the culture. So, so what is the solution? These words for our kids are the solution. Put it this way, can you think of a better one? A better solution than God's words for your kids or your grandkids or, or even for yourself. But there's so many messages out there and how can we possibly compete with all of those messages? I'm just going to use. I'm just going to use. Refer to one, one concern. Pornography on the internet. So, it, so if you're not concerned about that, it's time to wake up. Right. Because it is a major problem. It is a major problem for the church. It is a major problem for kids. It is a major problem for adults. So, how are teenagers going to survive that? How are teenage boys going to survive that? How are teenage girls going to survive that? How are men in churches going to survive that? And how are women going to survive it? How are marriages going to survive it? How are families going to survive it? So what is the solution? How does God, what does God see as the solution to that? You don't have to go, you don't have to go and look to a special book, paperback somewhere, the latest, greatest thing, you just look to this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Here's the rest of it, from, also from Deuteronomy. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And I've talked about this one before, but I'm going to repeat it again. Because this word for teach diligently means to repeat over and over and over and over and over again, like the motion you make when you're sharpening a knife. It's the word for sharpen. You shall sharpen your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets, headbands on your forehead And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house 
and on your gates. Well, that sounds pretty simplistic, doesn't it? That's all you have to do? Um, to do that over and over again? Well, it, it doesn't say that it is simple. It doesn't mean that it's easy. And it doesn't mean that everyone who tries to do that is successful in, in doing that. Because this is always a work of, of God to rescue us. But how does God say to do it? What does God tell us to do? Right here. So after all, and, and Pastor Randy mentioned this this morning um, in the sermon, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. That was Romans 10, Romans 10, 17. These words. So there's a small sample of what we will find in Deuteronomy, the call to covenant loyalty. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. But Deuteronomy itself has a built-in introduction. So it's a continuation. Deuteronomy is a continuation of the Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, story. And so the Deuteronomy portion of this story starts um, just before the children of Israel are going to cross over the Jordan River to move into the Promised Land. So the children of Israel, there are just about the same number of people um, at the crossing of the Jordan River as came out of Egypt. Almost the same number of people, but it's a different, it's a different generation of people. So they were, all re- they were rescued from Egypt. Some were born in the wilderness. Uh, they, God brought them through the wilderness. He brought them to the door of the promised land, right up to the gate of the promised land, not the gate. It's actually a river, a boundary that way. But they're ready to go in and to take possession of the land and live there. That's what this people is going to do. And so Moses has led them. might be better to say that, that God has led them. Um, but Moses has, has at least been the mediator. I think it's fair to say that Moses led them as well through the wilderness. He was God's spokesman and he was God's prophet. And he's about to die. And he knows it. So as they're here crossing over getting ready to cross over the river to come into the promised land. Deuteronomy is a series of addresses, or some would say speeches, or others would say sermons. Sermons from Moses, his final instructions, his final encouragements, uh, his final warnings for the people as they get ready to enter the promised land. And what he's telling them is how to live in the promised land. When you cross this river, this is what you do. And if you want to live a long time in this promised land, this is what you do. And if you want it to go well with you in this promised land, this is what you do. 
And what he's telling them is to pay attention to these words. Deuteronomy 1.1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan, in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazarot, and Dizahav. So it's not really specific, that description, but from later in Deuteronomy, we have a better understanding of what it is. But the main point is, it's outside of the promised land. He's getting ready to, they're getting ready to cross into the promised land. And this is a, Moses says this to all of Israel. So it's a very public address. All of Israel. Um, it would be bigger than the Million Man March if they're all assembled there. Um, 600,000 some men between 20 and 60, um, aside from women and children and old men. No, no old men, they're dead. Um, but young men, younger than 20. Um, so, the location, you can't tell exactly where that is from here. But did you notice this? These are the words. That's the phrase I ask you to remember. So the Bible Project video explained that the the origin of the name Deuteronomy, uh, the name of the book. I mean, they did it in part. um, But Deuteronomy wasn't the original name of the book either. The original name, or at least as far back as as we know of, as far as back as records go, would be this. Ele Hadevarim. These are the words. That's the name of the book. These are the words. So anybody that thinks about it knows that words are very, very powerful. Very powerful. I'm not sure how many quotes there are out there about powerful words, but but I'm going to just give you one from the Bible because there are many from the Bible itself and in society. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's pretty powerful. Words are powerful. So, and the Bible has God's words and that's why the word the reason that the bible has warnings against adding to god's words or taking away from god's words twisting god's words is because words are powerful and satan though satan was not successful in doing he tried to do that with jesus he tried to just by taking these verses out of context Tempt Jesus. It didn't work for him. But the enemy does know that, that it's good to distort God's words. I'm going to touch on one of those things. So here's an article that was in from this summer. Um, it was actually on Fox News. I remember it from there. Um, I looked it up. I'll just read a little excerpt from it. 
In the Gospel of John, Jesus famously confronts the accusers of a woman caught in adultery, saying, Let the one among you who is guiltless be the first to throw a stone at her. The chastened accusers slink away, and Jesus says to the woman, Has no one condemned you? No, sir. No one, sir, she replied. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go away, and from this moment sin no more. A beautiful story of forgiveness and mercy. Unless you're a Communist Chinese Party official. Then it's a story of dissent challenging the authority of the state. A possible sneak preview of what a Bible with, a socialist, with socialist characteristics might look like appeared in a Chinese university textbook in 2020. The rewritten Gospel of John excerpt that we just read there ends not with mercy, but with Jesus himself stoning the adulterous woman to death. A little bit farther down. Thou shalt have no other gods before me became resolutely guard against infiltration by Western ideology. Those are powerful words. Those are powerful words. And and it's interesting that the Chinese Communist Party is thinking they have to put that in the form of a Bible. They're translating, they're rewriting the Bible. And because sometimes words can sound good, it's important that the church is a, what is it says? It's the pillar and the buttress of truth. That's what the church is for. And that's why it's important to be in the truth, in the church, so that we know what these words are. These words, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazarot, and Dizahav. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. So after the Exodus, it was a little over a year when they were at Horeb. Um, and it would have taken them 11 days to get to the point where Moses was giving this speech. Kadesh Barnea is on the south part of the, the, the promised land, right at the south edge, so they could have been having that, that speech in 11 days. But in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, so 39 years and 10 months later, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all the Lord had given him in commandment to them. So here we are that much later. Because they didn't listen to these words, especially those about when when God told them to go into the promised land. So I could go on for that. I won't. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, and 
in Edri. So what are we supposed to notice from this? Well, 40 years later, though they disobeyed with God, God was still with them and still conquered these kings for them and accomplished his purposes even through their disobedience. That is encouraging words as we think about how often we have done things like, how much of my life did I waste by doing things the way that I wanted to do them and not doing things by these words. God's still with you. And he still has accomplished his purposes through you. If you're one of his, if you're one of his people, God still is with you. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. He he undertook to explain. These are the words that he did. He was explaining the law or... Um, A better term would be instruction or Torah. And that's what we have in Deuteronomy. God's words, some of them from earlier in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, um, explained and made clear. And those are the words that we are to have on our hearts and teach And repeat over and over and over and over and over and over again to our children. So let's close in prayer and then we will have our final hymn. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the words of Deuteronomy. And we thank you uh, that they contain truths that are important for us today that they are your words never pass away. They are always relevant to us. They always, your spirit always speaks through them to us. And Lord, we pray that we would hear these words. Hear and respond or hear and obey. In Jesus' name. Amen.